Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Genesis 18, verses 20 through 33, Psalm 138, Colossians 2, 6 through 15, and Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. Have you ever worked as a group to get something done where one of the people in your group simply didn't put in the same level of effort as everyone else? The job or assignment has to get done, and everyone will succeed or fail together, but inevitably someone just doesn't take it as seriously. I've had that happen plenty of times. It's frustrating, isn't it? You want to call them out for their bad behavior. It just isn't fair. Our epistle reading today from Paul is a letter to the church in Colossae, and it paints a picture of a slacker who is doing far less than expected. But more importantly, it addresses a very serious issue of false teachings misleading the church. This issue is not unique to the Colossians. In fact, we face false teachings today that can easily steer us off track. That makes Colossians 2, 6 through 15, plus the next four verses, as timely today as it was when it was written. We're going to hear how Paul addresses this issue through truth and wisdom. Let's start with Paul. He was imprisoned in Rome, likely under house arrest, accompanied by Timothy, Barnabas, and others. Epaphras, the founder of the church in Colossae, brought a report to Paul of the Colossian church being pulled in different directions by Judaizers, Greeks, and Gnostics. So Paul did the best thing he could and wrote a letter to the church delivered by Tychicus and Onesimus. Yes, the same Onesimus who was the escaped slave whom Paul sent back to Philemon as a brother in Christ. Even though Paul had likely not yet met the Christians in Colossae, he writes to them as an older brother, expecting them to heed his words. At about the same time, he also wrote the very similar letter to the church in Ephesus, also delivered by Tychicus. We know what concerned Paul because he wrote in verse 8, See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. In Ephesians 4.14, he calls it trickery of men and craftiness in deceitful scheming. This applies to any false belief, but when he goes on to focus on the physical body of Christ and the historical events of his ministry, he is clearly refuting Gnosticism. Gnostics believed that thought or knowledge or spirit were good, while all matter was evil. Therefore, Jesus couldn't have been truly physical, but only appeared to be. Gnosticism also split into two groups. Because the spirit and the body were utterly separated, according to Gnostics, some believed anything goes in the body, since the spirit was unaffected by sins in the body. The other group of Gnostics believed in completely denying physical needs. Our reading today actually stops a little bit early, because verses 16 through 19 continue with the same main idea. Verse 18 refutes self-abasement, which was a teaching of some Gnostics. Gnosticism wasn't the only false teaching Paul had to deal with. There was also an undue reverence towards, or even a worship of, beings in the spiritual realm. 
Paul addressed this by saying Christ is the head of all rule and authority in verse 10 and disarmed the principalities and powers in verse 15. Paul also took a stand against the worship of angels in verse 18. Lastly, Paul took on the Judaizers, who believed that Christians needed to not only follow Christ, but also Jewish laws and traditions, including circumcision. That is why he emphasized the circumcision made without hands, the circumcision of Christ. He also addressed Jewish dietary laws and Sabbath restrictions in verse 16. Paul had a lot on his plate. If he didn't address these false teachings in Colossae, they would not only destroy that church, but would probably spread elsewhere. The health of the church was at risk, and Paul was stuck in Rome. You may be thinking, that's historically interesting, but no one follows Gnostics, angel worship, or Judaizers today. What does this have to do with us? You might be surprised. False teachings have never disappeared, just changed. Keep in mind, we have an enemy who wants to lead us astray at every turn. And he's quite successful. Just look at the culture around us. There is no longer right or wrong, only personal preference. In contradiction to Genesis 1, male and female are no longer considered sufficient categories. Human life is no longer intrinsically valuable as God's image bearers. We only matter according to our economic activity, as producers or consumers. The false teachings of today tend not to take on Christianity directly, but rather chip away at the corners. Many of today's false teachings are political in nature, but are clearly anti-biblical. And don't think you and your family are immune to the lies of the enemy. They are as pervasive as the air we breathe. As Carl Truman wrote, we are all part of the revolution, and there is no way to avoid it. Is this any surprise? The news media holds itself up as a source of truth. But let's face it, no matter if it's Fox, CNN, Wall Street Journal, or the Idaho Statesman, they are all businesses with a goal of making a profit. Even NPR, which is partially publicly funded, still has to give people what they want to get the donations they need. These goals can be in direct contradiction to their duty of reporting the truth. Mindy's brother dubbed it outrage for profit. If we can't trust our news media, what about our politicians? I know, it's funny to even say such a thing, but shouldn't that be the truth? Shouldn't that be the case? If a person is in the business of solving real-world problems for the people they represent, then, then dealing with facts as they are is essential. Not facts as they would like them to be, but as they truly are. Thus, politicians should be truth-tellers. Instead, we find a class of people who can only seem to tell narratives that support the narratives of their own tribe, no matter what. Standing up to one's own tribe is a political death sentence. And we as voters don't hold them accountable for their alternative facts. Okay, what about my friends? I trust them. Oh, you mean your friends on social media? 
I think we are finally becoming aware of just how misleading social media can be. Your friends may be good people, but good people can say rotten things in the anything-goes environment of social media. They can also unwittingly pass on false information, often created by bots. There are people on social media who create fake stories designed to mislead, which have been proven to be far more likely to be shared than true stories. Add to that the underlying algorithm of social media that are designed to manipulate us into staying online longer so they can show us more ads. We may think we're smart, but we're not smarter than the algorithms. Just as in Paul's day, what we desperately need is truth and wisdom. But even if we find it, how can we stand up to the sea of lies? Paul addresses this head on. The only way to withstand the pull of false doctrines is to be filled with the truth of Christ. In verse 8, he says, to cling to that which is according to Christ. If we read the word and meditate on it regularly, then we can make it our paradigm by which we evaluate all competing information. What I mean is psychology teaches that the human brain either accepts or rejects new information based on the existing paradigm or meta-narrative of the individual. It is very hard to change one's paradigm, which is why it is so rare for people to change their religion or their political party. Changing from, say, Baptist to Anglican doesn't rise to this level, but fleeing a polygamous cult does. We all have a mental paradigm, which functions as a sort of fact gatekeeper. Facts that fit our paradigm get in, while those that don't are typically ignored. We do this without even realizing it. This sort of mental conservatism probably helped keep us alive in the pre-industrial age where we could rely on the wisdom of our grandparents. You could think of it as keeping out the noise so we can focus on what we need to on a daily basis. That's not all bad. In an age of scientific discovery, however, mental conservatism can work against us because we're frankly too mentally lazy to evaluate every new idea or fact that comes our way. We tend to rely on others to do that for us. Sticking to our paradigm keeps us ignorant when either the facts have changed or our paradigm is incorrect. If we want Christ's truth to be our paradigm, we must consistently spend time hearing and reading the word. There is no other way. In this short passage to the Colossians, Paul reviews the basic facts of the gospel. Jesus is fully God and fully man and has all authority. We were buried with him and raised with him in our baptism. Jesus forgave our sins, granting us life through the cross. Them's the facts. If you want to beat lies, focus on the truth. I've heard it said that the way federal agents were, trade, were trained to identify counterfeit money was to study. Now, mind you, this was long before all the high-tech security features that our cash has now. But they didn't study fakes. They studied genuine money. 
If they studied so much that they became, that they got to where they knew the look and feel of genuine money down to their bones, then spotting a fake would be comparatively easy. That's how we as Christians need to be regarding the truth of Christ. We need to know it to our bones. But there is more to life than simply knowing. Wisdom is just as important as truth. I got to say, wisdom is harder to practice than the truth. In fact, I would say wisdom goes against our nature. Going back to our mental paradigm, wisdom requires us to be willing to give fair consideration to ideas and facts that don't fit our paradigm because we realize our paradigm may be incomplete or imperfect. Maybe our paradigm needs to be altered. That is very tough to do. Our ego wants to scream no. But if we want to grow in wisdom, that means evaluating new things in light of biblical truth and then living in accordance with that truth. For example, a biblical truth is stated in 1 Timothy 1.10 and 1 Corinthians 6.9, among several other places, that homosexual behavior is a sin. That is fact. Nowhere does the Bible contradict this or in any way speak positively about same-sex attraction. However, Truth alone cannot answer the question, what do I do if a gay friend invites me to his wedding? Or should we allow someone who is gay but celibate to sit on our church board? These are questions only wisdom can answer in light of the full revelation of God, not just one passage of Scripture. And they are so challenging that there are entire ministries devoted to helping clergy and lay people deal with such issues. Let's do one more example. The Bible says if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. But what do you do if you are being persecuted at work for your beliefs? Do you demand your rights? Quit? Sue? Or do nothing? Only wisdom can answer that question. And I believe it is wisdom in action that is our best apologetic for Christ. Wisdom is lived truth. And how we live as Christians either draws others closer to Christ or drives them away. It can be hard sometimes to know what the right thing is to do in any given situation. But we struggle to do what is right even when we know what that is. We need to align our actions with our beliefs. For those of you who like fancy terms, we need orthopraxy as well as orthodoxy. Paul addresses that too. In verse 11, he writes that by putting off the body of flesh, which is sin, we receive the mark of Christ. That is spiritual circumcision. It does no good to claim Christ, but then deny him by our actions. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sin has no place in wisdom. Sin is selfish and short-sighted, while wisdom looks to the good of all over the long term. Striving for holiness is also striving for wisdom. How do we know if we are succeeding at living 
in truth and wisdom. If the things you believe match closely with the beliefs of non-Christians, then that should raise a red flag. If the way you live looks just like how non-Christians live, that should be a reason for concern. If you share all political positions of pretty much any politician or political party, there's a good chance your views on policy are being formed by something other than the Bible. Christians should not be indoctrinated by the world. As I said earlier, our cultural lies are so pervasive, they're like the air we breathe. However, it is possible to gain insight from outside our culture. If Christians from other countries don't share your views, that is a good reason to reconsider. For example, Christians around the world are perplexed by the American Christian obsession with guns. You want to support the Second Amendment? Fine. But I may take issue with you using the Bible to support that view, especially in light of Jesus laying down his life instead of taking lives when he would have been justified to do so. Now, I understand that there are political issues we deal with today that the Bible doesn't speak to, at least in any clear way. I also understand that faithful Christians can disagree on the best way to solve problems such as immigration, crime, or poverty. But before accepting the beliefs, merely because some political tribe does, better see what the Bible says. What you believe and how you behave as a voter should be a reflection of your walk with Christ. Now, I don't want you to go out today thinking it's all on you to live perfect lives according to truth and wisdom. We can only do what we can with what God gave us, though he has given us the Holy Spirit, so we are fully equipped to live holy lives. Remember I said in the beginning that there is a slacker who isn't doing anything near their share of the work? Well, that's us. We are the slacker. And here's the weird part. That's by design. Jesus did it all. Let's just look at the verbs that are listed in this short passage by Paul. Here are some, not all the verbs, that apply to our triune God. Circumcising, buried, raised, made alive, canceled, forgave, nailing, disarming, and triumphing. That's a lot of action. Now the verbs that apply to God's people. See to it and live. Hmm, not exactly balanced, is it? Why do you suppose that is? It's because the whole thing is God's operation. Personally, it goes against my nature to preach anything even close to relax and follow Christ, but that's kind of the picture we get here, isn't it? Jesus says to us, I paved the way for you. All you have to do is follow the way. And I have sent you the Holy Spirit to help you see the truth of Scripture and put it into practice. My truth is greater than the ocean of lies that surrounds you. Like studying a dollar bill allows us to easily spot a counterfeit, time in the Word builds a mental paradigm based on God's truth.
The Holy Spirit speaks wisdom to our hearts so we can live truth in our actions every day. Even when it is difficult to know what the right thing is to do. It is daunting to live counterculturally by living according to wisdom. According to wisdom. But let's not forget Christ disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. In Paul's day, that included the Gnostics, Greeks, and Judaizers. Today, that includes the news media, politicians, and social media, among others. When we receive the Lord's Supper, we are taking a stand against the powers of this world and choosing truth and wisdom. We won't win any popularity contest for doing so. But a life lived according to truth and wisdom is a compelling, powerful life indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.